This is History West Midlands. A Worcester Moments podcast. Woodbine Willie. Worcester's very own Woodbine Willie, the Reverend Geoffrey Studdart Kennedy, Vicar of St Paul's, represented all that was best in First World War military chaplains. As well as the military cross, he won an enduring national reputation, and along with Neville Talbot, the founder of Toc H, he was the most famous padre of the whole war. When he died in 1929, still a relatively young man, Worcester demonstrated an impressive show of collective grief. The 3,400 military padres, Anglican and other denominations, who ministered to the ordinary soldier were central to the war effort from 1914 to 1918. Some soldiers saw them as too middle class, allied to the upper class officers who sent them into battle, and as, all too often, stealing their resolve to fight while making themselves scarce when the going got hot. But this judgment was probably that of a minority, bearing in mind that three-quarters of the recruits would have attended Sunday school as children, that a deeply ingrained spiritual sense ran through the soldiery, that most appear to have believed simply in a higher being, and that many testimonies relate the consolation to be found in the undemonstrative support of the best of the military chaplains, those who shared danger with them. And Woodbine Willie was thought to be one of the very best. Studdart Kennedy was born in 1883, not in Worcester but in Leeds, the son of a vicar whose benefice was in the poorest part of the city. The grimy slums around St Mary's Quarry Hill and their impoverished inhabitants had a lasting impact on Studdart Kennedy, for he was to spend his whole life helping the poor giving it a political expression by his adoption of the tenets of Christian socialism. After education at Leeds Grammar, and then at Trinity College Dublin, he determined to serve the poorest areas of industrial England. First, he worked as a deacon attached to Rugby Parish Church, ministering to tramps, to those dwelling in lodging houses, and those frequenting the pubs in the town's slum areas. After spells running the town's mission, and then helping his father back in Leeds, he was asked to become Vicar of St Paul's in Worcester in June 1914. It had, in Studdart Kennedy's words, the smallest income and the poorest people, around 4,000 of them, and the church itself was surrounded by back-to-back houses with shared sanitation facilities, one toilet and washhouse to 12 houses. Yet, as was often the case, an Anglo-Catholic church with its ritual, its colour and mild exoticism, had a real appeal to working-class parishioners. Reinforcing that was the work of the vicar himself, for Studdart Kennedy was no ordinary middle-class cleric, and through his impulsive generosity and a conviction that he must act to do good, not simply mouth platitudes, a large number of his parishioners owed their stability, position and hope to his wise and timely help. He gave so freely, 
even food and furniture as well as hospitality, that he and his family would go short at times. He also gave of his time preaching in the streets, chatting to men in pubs, organising outdoor services. Yet, no sooner had he started to establish himself in Worcester than war broke out on the continent. As for all others of his generation, it would transform him. At its outset, he had echoed the sentiment of many other clergymen, that this war was a great crusade, to kill Germans to save the world, to kill them lest the civilization of the world should itself be killed. So when he made a call to arms in early autumn 1914 in Worcester, his words were conventional. I cannot say too strongly that I believe every able-bodied man ought to volunteer for service anywhere. There must be no shirking of duty. But these bullish attitudes did not long survive his first encounters with the reality of war when he joined up in December 1915. He soon enough came to share the disillusionment of other army chaplains who had started out with noble ideals about a glorious and just war, men like the Reverend Charles Dudney, who wrote despairingly that the flowers are long gone, and their perfume is replaced by the all-pervading stench of putrefaction, fraught with chloride of lime. It's the smell of the charnel house, and in places is added the strange effluvium, indescribable, of newly shed blood. Studdott Kennedy rapidly came to regret his initial reaction to war, and instead lamented that the brutality of war is unutterable. Writing in one of his poems... For, like so many combatants, poetry was the most convenient and immediate vehicle for conveying the profound emotions stirred by the conflict. Waste of blood, waste of tears, waste of youth's most precious years. He went on to reflect despairingly on the seeming futility of his role as padre. What the bloody hell is the church doing here? An amateur stretcher-bearer? or an amateur undertaker? Was that all a Christian priest could be in this ruin of rotten civilization? I have pondered as I sat down after singing a comic song to the men at rest. An amateur comedian struggling to make men forget for one short hour the horrors in the midst of which they live and are called upon to die. Always an amateur. Always more or less inefficient and untrained but he was to find some purpose within hours of arriving in France, at the Rouen staging post, where troops in their hundreds got off the trains to stretch their legs for a few hours before continuing their journey up to the front. He mixed with the men, intent on raising their spirits. He sang songs to and with them. He would deliver a comforting Christian message in a few short words, and, as the men boarded the trains, he would walk up and down the trains, offering two different comforts to them. From one haversack he withdrew those woodbine cigarettes which would make his name, and from the other copies of the New Testament. He was deeply affected by the emotion and the sense of impending doom in these Rouen departures. There is nothing glorious about the departure. It is all sordid and filthy. God only knows the hardships endured on these journeys in packed and dirty carriages. No place to wash, no place to move. They sit and wait for eighteen hours or more. 
Once posted from Rouen to the front line, Studdart Kennedy recognised that the best way to be useful was to share the lives of the soldiers. He joined in the training at the infantry camp, and he went into battle with them. He was able to communicate with them because he didn't hesitate to swear as colourfully as they did. Equally, he recognised that it was inappropriate to evangelise too enthusiastically in the heightened tension of the front line. He wrote, Live with the men. Go where they go. Make up your mind to share all their risks, and more, if you can do any good. The best place for a padre to be is where there is the most danger of death. Our first job is to go beyond the men in self-sacrifice and reckless devotion. Take a box of fags in your haversack and a great deal of love in your heart and go up to them. Laugh with them, joke with them. You can pray with them, sometimes, but pray for them, always. That box of fags came to be Studdart Kennedy's trademark, and back home in Worcester, townspeople generously responded. Shopkeepers placed boxes on their shop counters collecting money for his woodbines to distribute to the men, and when home on leave, Studdart Kennedy toured the shops personally to thank them. But his fame was not just prescribed by the dispensing of cigarettes. As he had made clear, reckless courage won men's respect and affection, and made his mission easier. In June 1917, at Messine Ridge, that selfless bravery was rewarded with the MC. Morphine supplies had run out at a dressing station, and he volunteered to fetch more from another station. He dashed over open ground under heavy bombardment, sprinting from shellhole to shellhole, and as he went, in the citation in the London Gazette, he searched shellholes for our own and enemy wounded. His cheerful endurance had a splendid effect upon all ranks. He self-deprecatingly described what prompted him. An advanced collecting post for wounded in the Ypres salient, a boy with a badly shattered thigh in a corner moaning and yelling by turns for something to stop the pain. But there was no morphia. That was the horror. Someone must go for it. I went. I went because the hell outside was less awful than the hell in. I didn't go to do an heroic deed or perform a Christian service. I went because I couldn't bear that moaning any longer. I ran, and as I ran, and cowered in the shell holes, I thought, if I get through and bring the morphia back, it will be like bringing back heaven to him. I will be to him a saviour from hell. I'd like that. When British lines buckled under the ferocious onslaught of the Ludendorff offensive in March 1918, Military authorities looked for leaders to inspire men whose morale was badly dented. They asked Studdart Kennedy to help, aware of his wonderful power of reviving courage and of inspiring men. His own testimony about his wartime experiences, his invigorating preaching, a rare talent for communicating with men at their level, in their own language, all these attributes conspired to give Woodbine Willie national fame by the war's end in 1918. It helped that George V himself took a shine to him. Studdart Kennedy preached at Buckingham Palace and was appointed a royal chaplain. The armistice allowed him to return to St Paul's and to take up the reins both of family life and of his mission to the poor in his parish. He was now a well-recognised and much-admired Worcester figure, with a national profile. 
Yet that celebrity led him to resign from St. Paul's in 1921, although he continued to live on the Bromyard Road in the city until his death. Increasingly, he had found that invitations to preach all over the country, as well as his greater activism in the Christian socialist movement, distracted him from pastoral work in his parish. His disenchantment with post-war Britain radicalised him and drew him into national campaigning for a visionary new approach to politics. The working men alongside whom he'd fought had been promised they would return to a land fit for heroes, Studart Kennedy's response to the grinding poverty, housing crisis and the rising joblessness in the early 1920s was to organise a protest march of 800 Worcester unemployed from Pitchcroft to the Guildhall to raise awareness of their plight. To the end, then, Geoffrey Studart Kennedy remained utterly consistent in this regard. He saw his mission as reaching out to the poorest people in industrial Britain. His role was to improve their spiritual and their physical lives. His work in Worcester was given a deeper resonance when translated to the Western Front, where he became one of the leading military chaplains in the conflict, respected both by troops and by high command. Fame did not turn his head. He did not become an establishment figure. In a very real sense, despite his countrywide profile after 1918, he never left Worcester and the city's regard for their famous pastor was evident in 1929, when tragically young, he was 46, he died of complications arising from asthma, flu and pneumonia. Citizens lined the streets in their thousands for the passing of his coffin, and then filed past it in their hundreds when it came to rest in St Paul's Church prior to his funeral. Thank you.